Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Ryan Pineda. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, RJ? I'm doing fantastic, man. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with us today. Uh, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing. Yeah, so my name's Ryan Pineda. Uh, I'm a fix and flip out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, currently, right now, we've got about 50 properties um, between rehab and on the market and all these things. So doing a lot of stuff out here in Vegas and, you know, looking to expand even more here and possibly into other markets. Cool, man. So how long have you been in real estate? Um, I got licensed back in 2010. Um, I was 21 years old and kind of didn't know what I was doing. I was actually also a professional baseball player at that time. I was, uh, in the minor leagues with the Oakland A's. So I just needed an off-season job, and, you know, my mom was a realtor. So I was like, well, I, I can be a realtor too, you know. It's something you can just have your own freedom and schedule. So I thought it was the perfect fit, and uh, I got my license back then in 2010. So, you know, that was my start. Cool. And how did you eventually transition from being a realtor to getting into investing? Yeah, so that's a longer story. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Back in 2010, I started. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. You know, my mom, she's old school, so I was advertising in the newspaper and, you know, doing all these things that obviously aren't the best use of uh, marketing these days. But, you know, I, I wasn't having much success as a realtor, um, mainly because I, I just really wasn't trained or, you know, I was just winging it. And, you know, I was playing baseball, so it wasn't really a priority for me. But, you know, in 2011, my second year, I ended up buying a house, me and my cousin. We just got a typical 30-year loan, and it was our little bachelor pad, and it was awesome, and I, it wasn't really like an investment or anything. We just needed a place to live, and prices were so stupid cheap. It was like, you know, you have to buy. Right. And, you know, after a couple of years, we ended up selling it, and we made a nice profit, and I was like, man, I made selling that house than I did, you know, being a realtor. I was like, there's something to this thing. So, you know, I ended up buying another house, another 30-year loan, and I was going to live in it, but after looking at the numbers and everything, I was like, man, I need to just sell this thing. So, uh, a few months later, ended up just selling it too and made a nice profit, and I was like, dude, this flipping thing is where it's at. And uh, funny thing happened, after that, I ended up getting married, and me and my wife, we bought a home, and, you know, we're living in our home, and I'm like, well... You know, she ain't going to let me flip this. We're living in it and we need a place to live. So I was kind of stuck. And this was in 2014. And so, you know, I, I couldn't flip because I didn't even know how to do it, like other than getting a normal 30-year loan. And I couldn't get another loan because I didn't make enough money. And so I was kind of just trying to figure out what I needed to do. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't a very good realtor. And so I was just hustling, doing anything to make money. Like I was my, – my job was basically flipping – couches and appliances on craigslist no joke <laughs> and i and i was really good at it like i i bought a truck off craigslist in fact and i just started wheeling and dealing couches because 
you know, the real estate thing, it just wasn't working as being an agent. And I, I really didn't know how to buy another property. And so, you know, I did that for a couple of years and, you know, I paid the bills. She was in college. She wasn't working. And, um, you know, minor league baseball, I don't know if you know, but you only make like 1200 bucks a month. And, uh, you know, that's only for five months out of the year. So you do the math. It's, uh, not a living. Right. And, uh, I, I just knew I had to hustle and make money for us. And so that's what I did for a couple years, just flipping stuff on Craigslist. And, you know, I had this revelation on our one year anniversary. This was a uh, late 2014. I was like, man, this, uh, this is not what, what I want for my life. Like just flipping couches and stuff. Like I was making good enough money to, you know, be comfortable, but it just obviously, and who wants to flip stuff on Craigslist their whole life? So I, you know, we were on our one year anniversary. We we're in New Orleans and we were watching a Packers Saints game. I'm a Packers fan. And, you know, I was watching this infomercial in the hotel room and it was one of those, hey, you know, come to our flipping course. We'll teach you how to flip and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm a skeptical guy and I'd been in real estate. So I'm like, ah, that's a scam, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it, it really piqued my interest. I'm like, you know, maybe there is something to it. I don't know. And so I started Googling it and I was like, man, is this a scam? And so all these forums, all, all these forums popped up and it was like bigger pockets forums and stuff. And they were like, yeah, you don't need to go to that. They'll upsell you and this and that and blah, blah, blah. You can get all the information right here. I was like, what? It's so it's kind of a scam, but it's not a scam. Like they're teaching stuff, but they're right. you know charging a lot. And so I got on bigger pockets and I started, uh, you know, reading researching and stuff and listening to podcasts and, uh, you know, reading a couple of their books. I was like, holy crap, like, man, these are, this is what I needed. Like all, you know, I know how to find deals. I just didn't know how to get the money for them. And I was like, all you need to do is get hard money. All you need to do is get private money. I was like, man, what the heck are these things? Right. And I didn't, you know, that shows you how good of a realtor I was. I'd been in real estate for a while and had no <laughs> idea what hard money was. So, um, <laughs> it was all new to me, man. And, after I did that, I was like, dude, I'm all in. And at the time, I only had 10 grand in the bank. Um, my wife still wasn't working. She's in college. And I was like, you know what? Like, it says you can do this with no money. Like, I'm going to figure out how to do it. And so at the start of 2015, you know, with the 10 grand, I was like, all right, I'm going to find a deal. So, you know, about a month into 2015, I find a deal. And I already, you know, called a couple hard money guys and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need 20% down and this and that. I was like, you know what? I don't have 20%, but I'll max out my credit cards to get there. So I ended up maxing out all my credit cards, cash advanced them. And I got about 50,000 out of it, um, you know, and that gave me the cash to buy the first property. Well, basically just put the down payment and, you know, I bought that first property and then, you know, I still had a little bit of cash left from the cash advance and another property popped up a few weeks later. I was like, well, you know what? Like I'm already all in. I might as well just <laughs> use the whole thing because this is a good deal. I, I know it's a good deal. And so I bought, them, I bought them both and, you know, I was tapped out of cash. I don't even know how much I had in the bank. It was probably not a smart move to go about it this way. But um, luckily for me, it worked. And, you know, a few months later, we sold them both made about 40,000 total between the two. So I was like, dude, I just turned my 10 grand into 50 grand. This is like amazing. I had right. worked so hard to just build up that 10 grand in like 
two years of flipping stuff on Craigslist. And all of a sudden, in a couple of months, I turned it into 50. I was like, dude, this is like stupid, like just <laughs> difference. You know, it's the same principle. You know, if you can find value in something, it's just a matter of, you know, how expensive is it that you're flipping it? Right. And um, yeah, after that, I just kept doing that over and over again. I would just, you know, I took that 50 and I still had that credit line out and, you know, I bought some more properties that year and I bought some more and bought some more. And, you know, that first year in 2015 of doing it full time, I, I bought five properties and that was really all I could afford. And then I just continued to scale it in 2016. I ended up buying 20 of them um, strictly with just my money and hard money. And then in 2017, I finally got my first private money guy, and that was what really helped me start to scale and take it to the next level. Um, and you know, last year we ended up buying over 50, and this year we're on pace to do over 120. I think we're already at 60 for the halfway point. So, you know, it's it's been a quick scale since 2015, and you know, I think about it now, and I'm like, man, like it's been it's been crazy just to experience the growth and the things that come with it. Absolutely, man. So I, I love it when I get people on that started in 2015, because that's the same time that I started. And, and it's amazing to see how our lives have changed since 2015. You know, uh, late 2014, I, I experienced a, a moment in time where when we had a property under contract, we only had $11 in our bank account. And, and now I look back at that and I'm like, that was such a scary time, but without that moment, I, I don't know if we would have the same feelings that we have now about the growth and the achievements that we've had over the course of time. So it's amazing to see the impact that real estate investing can have on people. Uh, I want to go back to those first couple of deals that you did because you were taking the money out of your credit cards and getting those cash advances and you were taking hard money loans out. So. When you take out a hard money loan, majority of hard money lenders will escrow the rehab and you kind of have to have some kind of cash to get the project started to complete some work. So did you have enough to do that or did you have to get creative with your contractors to get the work done so you could get the money out of escrow? Well, um, yeah, the hard money guys I use now, they, you know, they fund rehabs and stuff because I still use hard money today. Right. But um, those first two deals, they, they didn't give me any, uh, rehab money. Oh, they, wow. yeah, cause you know, I was a new guy and they were skeptical and you know, I get their position right. and I didn't even realize to ask for it. You know, I was just like, yeah, I, I just need the, the purchase price. But luckily for me, both, uh, I think the first deal I bought, I estimated like a 15 grand rehab, which I didn't even, you know, I just pulled it, you know, out of my butt. Right. But uh, the second one I knew for sure, like was pretty much an as is sale. We put like two grand into it. It was beautiful. That's why it was such a good deal. Um, but no, I think I, I came up with the 20% and that, that was like 25 grand to buy the first one. And I knew I had the 15 grand, you know, to cover the rehab. So I was at 40 there. And then the second deal, you know, I knew I didn't need any rehab money barely. And I found a hard money lender who was like, look, I'll lend 95% of it. And I was like, all right, great. That's perfect. So I only wow. needed to come up with like ten grand to to buy that second deal total, and so yeah, I was pretty much that was all the cash I had, and it just happened to work out that way. And you know, the second house sold before the first house because it was such a just a quick rehab, and um, I think from start to finish that house took like fifty days. It was crazy. Um, so I loved it. That was a great deal. 
So let's let's talk about you know you went from five deals to twenty deals, and then to you said seventy. No, we did about I think fifty three last year. Okay, so fifty. So that's pretty. Hey, that's a large growth pattern there. How did you handle the contracting side of things? Like I I, I get that you needed the money, but also managing that many projects is you know difficult to scale up quickly. How did you manage that? Yeah, that's definitely the hardest part of flipping for sure. Even <laughs> exactly. even today, and I'm sure you know, like yeah. man, these contractors, it, that's the hardest to me. I don't know about you, but I think that's the hardest thing to find. Absolutely. I don't have a problem finding deals. Um, so yeah, I mean, starting out that first year, I did or that second year, I did 20. I only had like one or two contractors. Um, and then as I I went into 2017 and I started doing more volume, I was like, okay, I need to find more contractors because there's just all these jobs. And so it forced me to start thinking creatively to find these guys. And, you know, I did. I found more as the needs arose. And up until 2017, I was a one-man team. Like, I didn't have anybody else. So I was the project manager. I was the acquisitions manager. I was the guy looking for money. I was the I was the realtor too. I was listed on my own properties. Oh, wow. So yeah, I was a one man wrecking crew. And that was fine in twenty sixteen. Like I had no problem doing that for twenty properties. Right. Um halfway up through to twenty seventeen, I was like, Okay, this is getting a little <laughs> too much for me. Like this is getting a little ridiculous. And so I hired my first guy, um, one of my best friends, and you know, he didn't have any construction experience at all. But, you know, to me, it's more about having trust in somebody that, you know, you know their character and you know what kind of person they are, what kind of worker they are. And I knew this this is the type of guy who's not going to let me down. And so, you know, I trained him to manage these contractors just like I managed them because I had no construction experience either. You know, I just learned it through trial and error. Right. So, you know, he was my first hire and you know, he managed all the projects for me. Once he started managing the projects, that took a lot off my plate. You know, going to all these things every week is it's a drain, man. Um, and it takes away from like really growing the business and finding more deals, finding more money, et cetera. So did you, hire, did you hire him for that position? Because that was the position that took so much of your time and effort or because that was the position that you thought he would best fit. No, um, because it took so much time and effort. Right. Um, if I was picking him, it wouldn't have been for that position because he had no <laughs> construction experience at all. And so uh, I just knew he was somebody I could trust and that who wanted a future in real estate. And so, you know, we did that. And it was just me and him for 2017. Like we did 50 with just us two. Wow. And yeah, and I tell people that today and they're like, holy crap, how'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. Like <laughs> we're both just hustling. <laughs> doing it, man. Um, so then, you know, at, towards the end of 2017, you know, we could see like what this is becoming, like we're scaling even more and more and more. And him and I ended up opening up a brokerage, um, forever home realty. And he's the broker. Um, you know, we're both just partners on it. And I started to transition him into listing all the properties and doing all the things on the brokerage side because that's more of his personality anyway because um, he's very um, structured and like just a hustler. He'll work 24-7 to get things right. done. Um, so 
you know, we opened up the brokerage at the end of 2017. Um, and you know, I hired, uh, an actual projects manager to replace him. Um, so now I've got him full time. So, um, you know, the team's a little bigger now. And the one thing I'll mention too, is in 2017, we didn't do any marketing. Like I spent $0 to get all 50 deals. Um, that was strictly just buying off the MLS and wholesalers. So, you don't have to market to get deals. I want to make that you know clear to other listeners and everything. Um, we started marketing this year because I was like, you know what? Now that we've got the manpower, we've got the the team in place, we can actually handle more volume. So let's uh, go and get more deals and start marketing. But yeah, I love that was what kind you of just said about the marketing man because I, I've I, I've said this story numerous times on the podcast, but there have been times where I've sat down with different investors and they've asked me what my marketing budget was and I would tell them their monthly marketing budget was more than my annual marketing, <laughs> marketing budget and they would laugh because yeah. they would be like oh that's your that's your monthly and I'm like no that's what I spent for all of last year um, <laughs> we we've absolutely done the same thing we've bought properties off the MLS from other wholesalers um, why wouldn't you buy from other wholesalers? I mean, I wholesale myself, but if if the deal is there and the numbers are great, why wouldn't you do that? And so uh, it's a very intelligent way to scale your business very quickly. If you're going to be a rehabber or a landlord to utilize other people's marketing dollars for your business. So touche to you for, for not spending any money and and keeping your team so slim and, and lean, I mean, uh, you, you've created a just what sounds to me like a, a huge profit machine in your business. Yeah, and I, I've told people that many times, like, you need to stay lean as long as you can until you absolutely have to hire people. Like, you'll know, you know, you don't go and just hire people because you think you need the position. Like, you'll know when you need the position if you scale properly. And so... Yeah, and in 2017, I mean, to, we were able to do that volume with two people. So when people tell me they have a trouble handling a few rehabs, I'm like, well, you better figure out how to do this properly because you're not doing it right if you're having trouble with a couple. Um, and you're not going to be able to handle it if you actually scale. So, yeah, like I, I'm totally on board with just staying lean and keeping your costs down and um, – you know, keeping your margins high. I mean, that's, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of people who do a lot of volume and they spend a lot of money to do that volume. And to me, it's like, Hey, at the end of the day, I want to just look at what did I net, you know, mm -hmm. and how can I net the most money for the least amount of work? Right. It's funny you bring that up as well, because, you know, for me, I, I don't really care how many deals you did last year. Really. It's yep. about how much money did you keep in your pocket? And uh, people ask me all the time how many deals uh, you and I were talking about it before. I'm going out of town tomorrow. I didn't even know how many deals we had in our pipeline until I wrote them all down and I'm looking in our systems and I'm like, okay, what what do I need to plan for for the rest of the month with the team before I leave? That's when I realized how many deals we had in the pipeline because that to me is not a number. That's not a KPI that I keep track of. For me, it's about revenue and and like you said, how much money are we netting every month and every year? Like that's what we do this for, not to get you know check marks <laughs> on our belt and say I yeah, did this yeah. many deals. Yeah. So, so I, I got a question for you. You said you weren't a very good realtor back when you first got started. 
but then you were the realtor selling all of your deals. Did you did you find that you were a better realtor when you were selling all of your own deals and they were your properties to be sold? You know, I think uh, when I say I wasn't a good realtor, I wasn't good at getting clients. Um, I just okay. didn't know how to find buyers and sellers. Um, you know, like I said, I was advertising in the newspaper. Like that's right. not a very smart way to advertise to get clients these days. Um, and so like, I just wasn't good at getting clients. Like when I had a client, I was great. Like I'll find you a deal. I'll find you what house you're looking for. Like the actual skills of being a realtor, I wasn't good at, or I mean, I was good at, sorry. I wasn't good at marketing. Right. See, for me, you know, I was a contractor before I was an investor. I didn't think I was a very good contractor, but now that That's I do funny. my own rehabs, <laughs> I feel like we've gotten better at being a pseudo contractor. I mean, being a rehabber, you're, you're kind of a contractor. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're, yeah, yeah. you're managing all these projects. Yeah. You're not in there doing the work, but you're essentially a general contractor at that point in time. And, uh, it, it just, the mindset shift of, Instead of doing the project for someone else, not that I care more, but it's it's just I feel like I have more control over the deal, and that flows better for me mentally, if that makes sense at all. Um, so I was curious if it was the same thing with you as being a realtor. So and now that you've kind of scaled up, how many people are on your team in 2018 right now? I know you have the brokerage, but how many people total do you have on your team? Um. Well, I'll try and name them off by position. I don't know the total off the top of my head, but I've got, you know, my partner I was telling you guys about in the brokerage. So he still lists all our properties um, and he manages the brokerage too. I've got my sister who I hired on as kind of my assistant. And so she, you know, handles all the paperwork stuff and any type of, you know, kind of busy work things that nobody wants to do. She's great at. Um, and I've got my project manager, like I explained, and you know, I only had one for the start of 2018. He was he's been great, but even throughout 2018, we've been scaling at a at a higher pace. Like every month, it seems like we keep doing more and more. And so I had to hire on a second project manager to help him out. Because um, I mean, right now, like I said, we own about 50 plus properties, so that's a lot of properties to uh, yeah. be managing. Um, so I've got those two doing those. I've got another gar uh, girl who strictly just looks at the properties that are finished and she checks on them weekly to make sure there's no vandalism or realtors leaving them unlocked because that happens all the time. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but people just don't know how to lock doors properly right. <laughs> or turn off lights. So yeah, she, she checks all those. Um, who else am I missing? That That's it for strictly like the flipping side of like to manage the flips. Um, like I said, now I've started marketing this year, so I also have a marketing team that's kind of a separate thing, just like the brokerage is a separate thing. But, gotcha. you know, I've got some cold callers, some acquisition managers, um, you know, things like that on the marketing side. And do you do you anticipate just maintaining being a rehabber or do you foresee going into wholesaling or being a landlord in the future? Um, as far as the wholesaling goes, you know, I'm kind of seeing where this marketing thing goes. Um, you know, as I figure it out more and more, you know, I've, I've, we're having some success with it, um, and really kind of perfecting it this year. And I definitely could see it going to other 
markets and things just like you have and right. just wholesale virtually and make money because at the end of the day, your system's going to work wherever it works. Um, right. doesn't matter where it is. So yeah, I could definitely see that happening or maybe if, you know, Vegas becomes a place that's not conducive to flipping, then, you know, shifting gears and, you know, wholesaling in other markets that are, that are hot because Vegas is like extremely hot right now and it should be for the next few years, I would hope. But, um, yeah, as far as being a landlord, uh, I own about 10 units right now. So I've got some experience with that. Um, a few of them are, are Airbnbs up in Big Bear, and I love those, man. We go at least once a month to, you know, take a little business vacation trip, check on them, and, and do some stuff up there. We do some flips up there, too, since, you know, I've got some experience in the market. But, um, yeah, I own other rentals in other states as well, just these little cheapo duplexes that I bought, um, and they're great cash flow. And I'm actually closing on my first apartment, hopefully this week, which is in Vegas. And that'll be a nice little 10-unit um, to get my feet wet. But that one's going to be interesting, man. That was a cool deal because it's a seller finance. I'm pretty much getting it for fifteen grand down. That's it. And then I don't have any interest payments on it for three years. So like, I've got three years to just make unlimited cash flow um, once I get all these units fixed up. Nice. So how did you negotiate that with the seller on the, the 10 units there? Yeah. So that one came through our call center and, you know, we're looking at the deal and, you know, we, we kind of were like, all right, we're not, you know, this doesn't make sense financially. Cause you know, he wanted 400,000 for it and you know, he wanted to cash out. And so we kind of just left it on the, the back burner and I ended up calling him back about a month later. And I was like, look, you know, I know you haven't sold it and he had a tax lien on it. And I was like, so do you like being a landlord? Like, do you, what, what is it you, you know, trying to find his problem? And, you know, he's like, you know, honestly, I've owned it for like 15 years. And, you know, once my property management company like went bankrupt, it, I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten rent in like three years. I was like, so if I was able to get you a monthly payment, would, would that be something you're interested in? He's like, yeah, like that's all I want is that passive income. I was like, okay, okay. So, you know, that's how we kind of got to talking about, I was like, you know, if we get to the seller finance, you know, I can get you that monthly payment guaranteed. And then you don't have to worry about these tenants or fixing it up or any of this crap. Cause I mean, this job is big. I mean, it's a hundred thousand plus job to get these units fixed up right. and he's out of state owner. I was like, you don't want to move here to do this dude. Like, and he's an older guy. He's like, no, I definitely don't want to move there. And so we finally agreed on a price. Um, you know, I'm getting it for 300000 which is a steal out here in Vegas. Um, you know, once it's fixed up, I mean, who knows how much it's worth. I, I'd i have to really run the comps and the, the cap rate and everything. But um, I know you can't lose on this type of deal. Um, and so he was even the one who brought it up because at first I offered him 200000 And he's like, well, what if, you know, we did three hundred, but... I don't, you know, you don't have to make a payment for the first three years because I know you got to fix it up and get it renovated. He's like, I want you to be able to succeed in it. I was like, man, all right. Like, <laughs> that, that's a dream yeah. call right there. Yeah. I was like, all right, you know, no payments for three years. Uh, I'll take that. And then, um, yeah, he's doing the note for 10 years, you know, at only 5%. So it's like, you know, and interest only. So, the the payment on it even at five percent interest only I think it was like twelve hundred bucks or something and oh, you know, wow. ten ten units should get 
six grand at least, you know. So yeah. it no, it'll be a killer a deal. deal. Yeah. So let's talk about the Vegas market a little bit. You know, what is a typical rehab project for you guys look like? Purchase price and rehab and and kind of the ARV. What does that look like for you guys? You know, I was looking at the numbers a couple weeks ago. Um, so I mean, these aren't exact, but. I want to say my average all-in was about 170. Um, okay. You know, it's about a 150 purchase with a 20k rehab, and our average sales price is like 220, 230, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, and that's just my particular niche. I really like the lower end um, home, not, and not necessarily lower end, but lower to mid, mid, you know, mid home. Right. I, I kind of stay away from the higher priced ones. You know, I consider Vegas higher price to be like 400 or over. Um, I know that's like a low price home in some markets, but here in Vegas, that's kind of how I see it. So, and there's a lot of guys who play in that field of you know the 400 to 800 range, and they flip and they're successful at it. But it just kind of doesn't make sense in my model with um, you know my money costs because you know I still do private or hard money, and it's all interest based, and it really it makes it tough when you're buying it that high. Yeah, I, I previously had Luke Weber on the podcast. Are, are you? Do you know Luke out yep, there yep. in Vegas? Luke, yeah, so he's my good friend. Yep. Yeah, and it, and it seems like that market just kind of breeds volume rehab guys. Um, something about it, and in, in those like you're talking about the twenty thousand in rehab. I mean, that's that's a pretty low amount for rehab. Is that because of the age of the house? Is it just because of how you're actually acquiring the properties? Is it more financial distress than actual property distress or what kind of breeds to the $20,000 rehab number? Um, you know, I think it has to do with the size of the home a lot. I, I don't track my average square footage, but if I had to guess, I would say it's like 1300 square feet. Gotcha. So you know, they're small homes, you know, a lot of them are just your basic three, two. And these are older homes and older areas where, you know, it doesn't require you to redo every single little thing. You know, people in that area don't expect to get this extravagant home. You know, they just want it to look nice and, and function. Um, now that being said, like if you buy these $500,000 homes, then yeah, you're going to spend, you know, 50 to a hundred to, right. to get these things looking really good so yeah like i said luke luke's another guy and i love luke and him and i kind of play in the same field we like to do these uh these lower priced ones because you know they're easier to do because the rehab's less and they sell really quick because they're they're affordable homes yep so after talking to you we're we're at like the 30 minute mark here I am absolutely blown away because you're telling me that you did all of this basically without having much of a team. You had a partner in 2017, but I do know that somewhere in between there, you found the time to write a book. Let's talk about the book. And then also, can you share how in the world you found time to write a book while you were also out there trying to, you know, flip all these houses with just you and your partner? <laughs> I know people, people ask me a lot, like how, I, how do I find the time to do, you know, all these things? Cause you know, I was playing base, people forget I was playing baseball during all this too. So I was playing baseball six months out of the year when and then stop playing baseball in 2017 also. Oh so my goodness. <laughs> I played, I played in the minor leagues for eight years and I didn't have a problem, you know, doing baseball and 
uh, flipping houses until 2017 because it got to that point in 2017 where I was doing all these houses and I was out of state playing. And that was that was really the reason why I hired um, you know my partner because I was like, well, I'm not even going to be in state for the next four or five months, so I need somebody to manage all these projects. And so it was really out of necessity that I had to do it. Um, and long story short, uh, 2017 was the first year I did not enjoy baseball because I just had way too much on my plate with all these houses. Like I would be on my computer for like two hours before the game in the clubhouse, like responding to emails, answering calls, this and that. <laughs> then I go, I go play the game and you know, mentally I just wasn't into it. Cause I'm like, man, I got all these things going on. And then after the game, I'd have like all these missed calls and more emails. And I was like, dude, this is too much. And so, um, halfway through the season, you know, I ended up getting released. I wasn't playing well. And you know, I had a couple teams reach out to me. I was like, you know what? Like I need to go all in on real estate. Finally. Um, like I've reached the point where this is the next phase of my life. Cause you know, my, my whole life up into that point, I was just like, trying to be get to the big leagues that was my dream uh, right. real estate was not my dream um but it just so happened real estate was what i was more skilled at and um yeah so i stopped playing in about july of 2017 so it's been a year since i've stopped playing really and once i stopped playing i mean <laughs> when you dedicate your whole life to something that opens up a lot of time once you stop doing that so there was no more practicing there was no more traveling. There was no more, you know, actually being in a different state for half the year. So for me, it was like this whole new world had opened up um, of time. And I had learned to be very disciplined with my time because I had to be with playing baseball and doing real estate. So once baseball got taken out of the equation, it was like, okay, well, now I can devote all my time to real estate. And so, um, you know, it, for me, I just try and make every hour count. Like I'm not really wasting time binge watching on Netflix. I'm not wasting time, you know, just doing things that are unproductive. I don't play video games, you know, but I still have, you know, I do a lot of the things I love to do. Like, you know, if you, <laughs> if you watch on Facebook, I, I'll post things of me just hanging out in the pool, but you know, while I'm in the pool, I'm still answering calls, whatever, you know, I'll post me on vacation. Like I, I, I go out of town at least once or twice a month to somewhere. Um, and I'm still able to have the systems in place to, to go and keep it going while I'm gone or whatever. But it really just came from like the, the structure of being an athlete and the discipline of like, Hey, all right, this, this, um, you know, th this time block is spent for strictly this. Um, so sorry, that kind of went off a tangent. But, hey, uh, no, that's cool. That was all good stuff, man. Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing that about being an athlete because, you know, for majority of us, we, we had a dream of being a professional athlete, but we didn't have the talent to do it. And so it's, uh, it's great to hear you go back to that and kind of give credit to that experience and how it's you've transitioned that to your career now within real estate and how it's helped you time block and be disciplined and things along those lines. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, the lessons that I have from being an athlete for sure have, you know, made me successful in real estate. Um, but to get back to your original question about how did I find time to write the book, um, it was the start of 2018. 
And I was like, man, like I really want to write a book. I, I feel like I've got some stuff to give to people and, you know, I want to make it a goal. And at the time I knew I was done playing baseball, but I still had a baseball fix. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to coach baseball. So <laughs> I started coaching high school baseball and, you know, that was another time commitment. I mean, that was every day from like two to four. And, uh, you know, I was coaching high school baseball and I had this excuse in my mind. I was like, well, I'll, I'll write it after I get done coaching. Cause you know, I don't have the time. And I actually went, uh, Grant Cardone's 10 X thing here in Vegas. I, I think that was in like February. And I got really motivated after that. Um, I heard Russell Brunson speak and Ty Lopez speak. I was like, you know what? I'm writing this book. So, <laughs> um, you know, I started writing it right after that. Um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just write it about flipping and my, my story and how I do it. And I started putting a uh, pen to the paper and I wrote it in probably about a month. And I was like, man, that was a lot easier than I thought. But then the hard part came with the book. Um, and I was very naive with, you know, the process, but it ended up being like three months after that of like all the production and editing and, you know, you got to pick a book cover and you got to find a publisher and you got to like write all this other stuff. And I was like, man, this is like, this is the hard part after right. writing it. Um, but yeah, you know, I just really became disciplined with like, all right, today I'm dedicating these two free hours I have to, to strictly writing it and getting it done. And it was just like knocking it out, you know, hour by hour, day by day, and eventually it got done. And so, uh, you know, now it's, it's finally out. So the book covers how you do your flipping business and kind of your story. Where can people find it and purchase it? So the book is called Flip Your Future. Um, it's on Amazon. And right now the, the Kindle version is always available. And for some reason they keep getting sold out of the paperback. Um, and so I'm trying to get with them and figure out like, all right, man, like how are we going to stock more of this? Cause people want it apparently. Cause, uh, I had a, I had an email with them today. I'm like, Hey, uh, July 8th, you guys were supposed to have more. What happened? They're like, well, they're, they're sold out already. That's why it says out of stock. I'm like, what you guys need to like <laughs> tell Amazon to, to stock more of it. Like, come on, man, these people want right. it. Um, so yeah, if, you know, you guys go on Amazon, you see it sold out, just buy it. You can still order it and they will ship it once they get it in stock. And I think they stock, they restock it every week or something. So like I said, man, I'm new to figuring out writing a book and all this stuff. So, um, man, if I'd have known that I would have picked a different publisher or prepared better, but they were like, well, <laughs> you know, it's tough with a new author. Nobody knows how they're going to sell. So they don't want to like oversupply it. And I was like, well, you guys better figure it out because people want right. Hey, that's a good problem to have though. <laughs> it is a good problem. Keep buying your boat, they can't keep it in stock. That's a pretty cool little story there. Yeah. So let's talk about your baseball career for a little bit because I'm a baseball fan and we always talk about real estate investing. And yeah, I think you're the first professional baseball. Well, no, actually, I take that back. Todd Fleming was a college baseball player, I believe. I don't think he played in the minors, but okay. don't hold me to that. But so what level of minor leagues, what's the highest level that you made it? So I only reached high A. Um, so it's a form, like there's two levels of A ball. There's low A and high A. So I got to high A. Um, you know, after that, you got double A and triple A, then the big league. So, you know, I, like I said, I had a long career, but I didn't get very far. Um, you know, I spent my first three years with the Oakland A's in their minor league system. And, you know, I did okay. Um, 
And after those three years, I got released by them, and I went to go play what's called independent baseball. And, uh, you know, after independent baseball, well, so I did that for a bunch of years, and that's basically like outside of affiliated baseball. Affiliated baseball, like, uh, you know, any of the 30 major league teams, they run those. And independent, like you can sign anybody. So there's a bunch of like ex big leaguers and ex AAA guys, and they basically go there to try and um, get back into affiliated baseball and try and get back to the big leagues. Like these these are guys that are just playing to keep the dream going. And for me, I just love playing baseball, man. Like I was just playing and having the time of my life, leaving every it was like summer vacation every year. Just I get to go play and get paid, um, even if it's not a lot of money, and get to go right. play in front of you know, five, 6,000 fans a night, like, dude, where else are you going to get that kind of thrill? And so that's that's cool. Yeah. And I I know you're from Dallas. I actually played in Grand Prairie for a season. So I lived up there for a little bit for the Uh, air hogs, for the air hogs, man. So you've heard of, yeah. 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 So I was an air hog in, uh, 2013, 2013. I was an air hog. Um, that's funny. Yeah. So I know, I know that area pretty well. And, freak man that that field let me tell you about that field it's it's all turf dude <laughs> you you already know and over there a turf yeah oh man i was baking my feet felt like they're gonna melt every game <laughs> that's how i feel when i just go look at one of my rehab projects here, so <laughs> yeah imagine going and playing on the turf yeah hours dude it was tough that's funny yeah. so I, I have to say this I'm, I'm a big sports fan okay if i had to pick like if, if you asked me one franchise that I would not want to play for, it would be the Oakland Athletics. Were you <laughs> slightly disappointed that you were in that organization? Oh, man. So I grew up a Seattle Mariners fan. So, oh, yeah. Oh, so you hated yeah, it. I hated the A's growing up, man. And I was always a Griffey guy. I was an Eacher yeah. guy. And the A's always beat the Mariners. Mariners still have made the playoffs in like 18 straight years. And so I was like, man, this stupid small market team, they keep freaking beating the Mariners. Like, it's such, you know, it sucks. Um, And, you know, when I got drafted, I I had gotten called by a bunch of different teams. And back then I was was really stupid. I was 21 years old, and I kind of turned them down. And so I got drafted later than I should have, and Oakland was the one to draft me. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm I'm not signing. And so... I uh, I was holding out and I was just playing baseball in Alaska, this college summer league. Like I've played everywhere, dude. And uh, Alaska was awesome. I was just having a blast. And then finally, I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to go back to college. Like I'm done with school. So I signed with them. And you know, I'll say this: like with Oakland, you know, they're very they're a cheap organization in terms of right. money. They just don't have the money that other teams have. Like it is what it is. Um, so they had that, that aspect that wasn't good, but you know, all my coaches and trainers and everything, you know, I got nothing but love for all of them. Like they were awesome. Um, definitely I had an opportunity, which is more than most people can say. Cause you know, I was a late round pick and most late round picks don't get the time of day. Like if you're not a first or second rounder, like they could, most organizations could care less about you. But, um, you know, they gave me a legit chance to show what I could do. And, you know, I have no regrets because, you know, I know that, hey, I had my chance and I just wasn't good enough. Like, you know, I see a lot of guys who are like, oh, I never got a chance, this and that. And, um, you know, they kind of live with that regret. That's a very common thing you see with athletes. Um, So, you know, I've got nothing but love for how they treated me. Um, 
but yeah, as far as uh, the initial drafting, I was like, man, these guys, I can't believe I ended up <laughs> getting drafted by the team I always despised, man. Right. Are you a Rangers guy? Yeah, I am. I, I've lived here my whole life, and and so I I hate both the A's and the Mariners. But <laughs> and Rangers are having a tough tough last couple uh, of years. Yeah, but I mean seriously, uh, like I hate when the Rangers play in Oakland more than anything. I mean it's like the, the stadium. I mean it's not even a, a uh, baseball so, stadium. I mean so it's a football good. stadium, and even <laughs> then it looks like it's falling down. I mean. Well, you know it's what? Just, we're we're getting the Raiders here in Vegas, so at least they don't got. There you go. I mean, I actually feel bad for like the players of the Oakland A's because it's like you worked your ass off to finally make it to the major leagues, and you're playing in a stadium that's like empty. Your minor leagues fields for real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and the other <laughs> thing is too is you already know with Oakland, you got a really limited lifespan with them because right. you know they, they're they're going to keep you for you know a few years, and then once you get expensive, you're out, man. Yeah, exactly. If you, like you, if you do you good, you go away. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Like, I remember from my draft class even, like, there's not one person who's on the ace right now. I mean, that tells you something. I wasn't drafted that long ago, but, like. That's crazy. Man, they, and even, like, the, the draft class after me, like, they don't have anybody. Because they either, if they were good, they got traded. And if they suck, they're out. You know, it's just life. But, right. yeah, they, they don't, you don't have longevity over there. That's for sure. And, the, and you All know right. what's funny well, is they even uh, they'll tell you too, like, hey, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you're not it, it, just be be playing so that for your future, you know, like everybody understands what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, you got a good thirty minutes of real estate investing to all the listeners, but we had to fit in a good ten fifteen minutes about minor league baseball. Okay, so we we had a minor league baseball player on. We we had to talk about it. So. Ryan, I appreciate you sharing everything that you shared with us today. Uh, for anybody that wants to reach out and contact you, what's the best way they can reach you? Yeah, the best way to find me is on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, my handle is All Star Investor, so you can find me either of those. Um, you can also catch me on my website, RyanPineda.com, and you know there's a lot of info about the book on there, blog posts, and different things you can find. So definitely, that's where you'll find me. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, RJ. Appreciate you having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.